Hello and welcome back to the Black Women Working Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Black Women Working Team, or in this case, Natalie, introduce yourself. I've just given your name, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm myself. I feel like how many hundreds of episodes in you don't know me? I don't know what you're doing in life. Actually, no, this could be someone's first episode. So hi, I'm Natalie. Exactly, exactly. So thank you for introducing yourself, Natalie. I am Tolu, aka Tolls, and we are Histonist Founders Edition today. Um, just as a quick reminder to everyone, you can find us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, hashtag BWWPodcastUK or at BWWPodcastUK. We're also on LinkedIn. Look for us, Black Women Working, and you'll find us. You can email us, blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com, and we have a website, www.blackwomenworking.com. So, welcome to another Founders Edition episode. And as a polite reminder to anyone who may not have listened to any of these episodes yet, Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. It's only right that we talk to these women and give them a platform to share their experiences because there's definitely a freedom that comes from running your own business, freedom from potential microaggressions at work and other pressures, but then there can definitely also be some other struggles in terms of getting your business off the ground and sustaining it. So it's good that we speak to Black women founders running, sustaining and growing their own business. And today we are extremely excited and privileged to speak to Katura Cummings, founder and CEO of Forward Slash, a cultural marketing agency. She was announced as part of PRS Power Up Collective, I believe in 2021. And her company was selected for Barclays Black Founder Accelerator. Now, Katura is not a one-trick pony in any sense of the word. She's exceptionally multi-talented. And in a bit, we're going to give her a chance to talk about some of the various ventures she's involved in and her professional background, uh, which also includes being a fellow podcaster. So we know that you have the good chat, Katura. But first things first, hello and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm good. Good-ish. I was just saying earlier, um, I'm just in the middle of healing from a broken ankle. So, yeah, exactly. So it's an interesting time, um, but I'm good. I'm here. But yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. So we're going to get right into it because I want to cover a lot of things because there's so many things that we can talk to you about. You have such an interesting career journey in terms of what you're doing now. So the first things first, I'm going to give you the floor briefly to let people know what you do and also what drives you. Yes, I think you covered it in your intro. Uh, I guess I would say I'm a self-described Jackie of all trades. So uh a multi-creative and a creative entrepreneur and that splits out into this portfolio career which covers uh, being a founder and CEO of Forward Slash and Forward Slash is a cultural marketing agency uh, also a production house and Forward Slash Academy is uh, an online education platform and then alongside that I'm also a DJ music is kind of my first love um, so I'm a DJ also a radio broadcaster uh, I do a monthly radio show um, on a community station in uh, North London called Foundation FM. I also run a label called So Future, which is focused on showcasing and exploring the spectrum of global black electronic and dance music. 
uh, I'm sometimes photographer these days. Um, I, I can do it if I need to. I guess I stopped doing it for money and it's more just of a passion thing at the moment. Um, content creator-ish, I guess, when I get the bug um, before obviously my team expanded. Content creation was something that I used to do myself and still enjoy, still enjoy. I definitely focus more on ideating the natural content creation these days. Um, and yeah, fundamentally, I guess it's those things and part-time once a week uh, footballer, which is the reason why I'm currently sat here with a broken ankle. Um, yeah, I think that's what about, about covers it. Um, and then your other question was what drives me? Um, I think I would probably say passion and curiosity. I think so much of my career is really just based on being curious, um, wanting to explore different things, not really understanding or having the exact skill set, but just wanting to try anyway. And eventually they all kind of led up to this career that made sense. Um, and passion, I guess, for rooted in music, but just in general for creativity and be able to being able to create things. Um, very interested in creating for the sake of creating a lot of times. I don't think I'm always completely focused on the outcome or what the output is. I think there's something about the journey and just what you learn and figure out along the way that is a motivator um, for me. So I feel you've never ever been triggered by the sentence Beyonce has 24 hours in a day what are you doing with your life because I heard I heard you listen off a lot of things there I'm like so when do you eat when do you sleep <laughs> when do you do you know wash hair because that's a that's a hell of a lot of things like what's it like juggling all those things do you find it quite easy because it's spurred on by your interests and passions or do you find that you actually have to really structure yourself in that respect I think a bit of both. I think I'm definitely quite organized and I like structure within, like being able to create freely, but I, I just need structure and I like things to kind of be in a certain way. So I think that's probably helpful in terms of just being able to juggle various things and navigate that. And I think, I guess the one thing that I have learned really is you and I guess this is, this is a conversation around you know everybody has like 10,000 they say 10,000 hours for you to like become the master in whatever it is you're doing you have to put in your 10,000 hours and accepting that if you choose to do four things instead of one then your 10,000 hours are going to look different and where someone can give a hundred percent of their time to one thing and that's how they get to the top of their game at times you're only going to be able to give 25% if you're splitting it between four things or you know 50% if it's two things I think you have to accept that's part of wanting to pursue multiple things but I think because I'm so excited about the variety and getting to do different things I'm not pressed about not being the most amazing photographer in the world like for me it's enough that I never knew how to shoot take photos and now I can and now I can edit them and somehow I got paid for them and like I'm cool with that um, and having that kind of freedom to just move between different things. So I think that definitely in terms of structure, it's changed as my business has grown and more people have joined the company and there is a level of structure and organization that's required. So how I structure my own day and just like working hours and what I do outside work and trying to have this balance, that's where it's definitely become more challenging over the years. But I think the thing is 
A, it's enjoyment, and B, you just have to accept that, yeah, at some points you have to drop something, you won't be able to do all those things at the same time consistently. I hear that, I hear that. Sorry, Nat, let's go and jump in there. Okay, so do you want to talk to us about your business, Forward Slash, and like what it does, and what was your inspiration to set up this business? Yeah, so Forward Slash... And it's a bit ambiguous, I guess, but I always refer to refer to Forward Slash as a creative solutions company, uh, more so than like a traditional marketing agency, because I don't think I didn't start off with the intentions of becoming a marketing agency. And I don't think we operate in any way like a traditional agency. So Forward Slash as a company, essentially, we focus on strategy, uh, digital content production, social media management, paid ads, um, and more recently started doing audience research. And it's very much for um, brands within the mu music and culture space, as well as artists. So independent artists and major label artists. And essentially our job is to help them better engage their audience to connect the dots between whatever it is they have um, and the audience they're trying to reach. So that is through creativity, through ideas, through strategy, through content creation. Um, and really trying to tick two boxes and the first being offering value and, and um, being able to give something meaningful to your client's audience, but then also hitting the objectives and the targets that your clients have. So I always say we, if we serve our client's client, then everybody wins, essentially. Um, okay. and so what was the kind of reason behind setting up your own agency? When, when did you feel like, okay, I actually want to, I know what I'm doing. I want to do this. I want to have my own. Uh, I didn't really. It was sort of an accident and it was very unplanned. So I worked uh, for five years at the BBC, uh, Radio One, One Extra, as a social producer and um, kind of carved out a role for myself as doing socials and digital on one side, but also being involved with music. So I was on the One Extra playlist committee and the One Extra music team for a time and kind of had this really... Uh, comfortable balance between music and digital um, and then at some point I kind of just hit that very real glass ceiling in the BBC for various reasons some political things some like it's just time to go. Can you tell us what were some of the reasons were or is it too confident? Um, no I think the in a nutshell you can continuously move across uh, you can move horizontally but actually moving up is very very difficult in a place like the BBC um, it's a job for life uh, in the sense that nobody leaves and it's very rare that they fire people so it's very much one in one out you can't move up unless somebody else leaves or moves and so what happens a lot of the time is you could do um, they're very good at letting you express your ideas and try different things um and you get credited for that you know anecdotally but you like financially you won't be necessarily remunerated for that and you won't um you won't be able to progress in the same way so after a while it was just sort of like uh, I felt like I was just moving left to right, but not really mm -hmm. getting the opportunity. Yeah, not getting the opportunity to progress. And then there was a couple of incidents at Radio One, one extra um, around like race, and I didn't really feel how it was dealt with, and it just felt like everything was telling me this is the time to leave. Um, and there's probably a period of eighteen months to two years where I actually wanted to leave, but just couldn't, wasn't mm. brave enough, couldn't take the plunge. Like it's very scary to leave. An institution like the BBC I think over mm -hmm. time you develop this feeling of like 
I don't know how to exist outside of the BBC. Like, where do you go from here? Like, what, like, what are you if you're not at the BBC? And when you're in um, a role where you do music and content and people constantly need things from you. So mm -hmm. everybody's patting you on the back. Everybody's, you know, offering you this, offering you that, offering like, I'm I'm a music lover, so if you offer me gig tickets, then <laughs> you're talking, you know. I take that over dinner, like. So when you're in a position where people constantly need things from you, it's like, okay, well then, what do I have to offer if I leave? So I think I probably stayed there for as long as I could, really. And then one day, it was like, I had to sit down with myself and have a conversation, like, okay, these are all the things that you're scared about. These are all your fears, um, and I just went through them one by one. So the first one was. Uh, what if I don't have any fresh ideas? And it's like, don't be ridiculous. Of course you've got ideas. You just need to mm. be in a different environment to kind of let them out. Um, what if I go freelance and I can't get any other work? Well, you have the BBC on your CV, so it's not really going to be that difficult to get into another mm -hmm. role. And even if it's not your dream role, then you can't, you'll never be out of work. Like, you'll never be out of work. That's a ridiculous thought. So I kind of just went through this mental list. And when I got to the bottom, I was like, yeah, I can't really justify staying anymore. Um, and then Listen, that was like, it's time to go. I relate to this so much because a long, long time ago, those days, I too worked at the BBC. So I worked in, I don't know when you were there, I worked in the College of Production. So that doesn't exist no more. So that was part of BBC Academy. And I got the, I got into that through the production talent pool. So I'm actually interested in how you got into Radio 101 Extra as well in terms of your journey there and if that was always something that you wanted to do so I'm going to ask you that question but yeah I really relate to that feeling of okay you've been at the BBC now what next like everything else might just kind of sometimes feel a bit almost inferior to it but actually until you've actually worked in the mechanism which is what I'm going to call it that is a BBC you don't realize how just completely bureaucratic it is like every single little thing you do is essentially has to be sanctioned it has to be in a specific kind of way so I really understand how you were in that place where actually I'm not moving forward and actually I'm not being allowed to like flutter my creative wings in the way that I want to which is ultimately what's going to bring me um, growth Um, so I applaud you on your courage in um to leave that space and kind of do your own thing because definitely coming from an institution like that there is those kind of thoughts in the back of your head but taking it back a couple of steps before you got into the BBC let's talk about maybe 14 15 year old Keturah is this something that you always wanted to do and if so what was the pathway for you getting into that space or how did you end up there so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't think I ever really knew. Um, I think when I was about five, like I wanted to own an ice cream van and then <laughs> wanted to be, <laughs> one time I said like, I wanted to be an accountant and like all the adults applauded. I was like, okay, cool, maybe that's a thing, but I don't think that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I don't think I ever really knew and that's kind of reflected in all the choices I made in terms of education. So um my levels were spanish business music it and then my degree my first degree was in international business and spanish and that was really because i got to spend like a year and a half two years in spain i was like why not um but not with the intention of pursuing a career that required me to use spanish and it also just felt like yeah something like businesses maybe something that'll be useful at some point but i didn't really know what that was and then I did a master's in business analytics and that was really to just 
to bide more time, honestly, to bide a year, like figuring out, okay, what do you want to do? And still not being sure at that point. Um, and always kind of had like an interest in music. So I played the piano from like, I don't know, maybe age nine or 10. So I went to uni, like to 18. Always had an interest in music and I was like, couldn't really see what it looked like as like a young black person in the classical space. I did classical and jazz piano, didn't really, mm-hmm. orchestras, that kind of thing. I was like, that's not, I don't really see where I fit there. Mm-hmm. And then always like had a love for like R&B and hip hop and then looking at like music producers. But even then it's like people like Timberland, they weren't any like black women producers either. So it's like, okay, cool. Like at least there's a space here for black people. But again, I don't think I had quite the, the exactly what it took to be a music producer. I could definitely play really well, but in terms of how to produce, that was a different story. So it was sort of like, yeah, something in music would be cool. And then kind of always had this thing of like, I used to like create mix CDs, like pass them around to my friends. Um, I guess like a music curator before that was even a thing. Mm-hmm. So this stuff was sort of like ruminating. And then when I was doing my dissertation for my master's and just getting like, really like frustrating and wanted to finish it and like couldn't start and I had like a word count and just not being able to hit the word count and then um thinking about oh it'd be cool to like maybe like start a music blog like me and one of my friends Nate we always constantly like sharing music that was our thing at uni that's how we ended up becoming friends at uni like he came to my halls one day saw my cd collection I was like went to his saw his it was like this is my guy and then that was kind of my person who used to share music with I was like oh maybe like should we just start a music blog maybe other people would be interested in the music that we were so from that I just built these these skills of like I was on a wordpress blog so very like basically how you uh basic like super basic coding and like how you want things yeah. to like be styled and how do you want it to look like I never really had necessarily any writing skills so that was something I was like learning and it was just kind of a fun, a fun thing to do um so left uni had started this music blog moved back home back to Manchester and then sort of like doing these really kind of pointless internships, to be honest. Um, my mom wasn't pressing me and I was like, okay, cool. We're just here, let's figure out, see what's gonna happen next. And then um, I got sent a link for a BBC scheme for people that didn't have any experience in media, but kind of wanted a taste in media. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was like a good fit for it because I did two business degrees and I was sort of doing music. I started doing live music nights as well in Manchester actually, specifically for black music talent because there were a lot of like rock and indie nights that's that's Manchester's thing really um lots of open mic nights but nothing specifically for black music artists so mm-hmm. I started that I was doing this music blog I kind of just playing around with these things it wasn't like a business in the sense of I had a very specific business focus on it it was more just like fun doing it see what happens this is kind of enjoyable um and actually the first event I did lost quite a lot and then I was like maybe I should be doing this um so I got into this BBC scheme and it was to be a runner in TV but at BBC Manchester they don't do like they do shows like Songs of Praise, Mastermind, the sexy stuff is not made in Manchester so Songs of Praise, I've watched that in ages, my grandma, it was lit though, I don't even know how did you find being a because I did it for one day on Silent Witness and I was like, Lord God, never again, ever. <laughs> I thought for me, ever. it's kind of like, oh, I like the environment. It's cool. Like I was doing random things that like one day I had to like drive to Gloucester to pick up some antiques. Like the next day you were help building a stage. Like I just liked the environment and how hands on it was. And what I learned from that is like, okay, cool. I don't necessarily want to be in TV, but I like this kind of like media environment. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, well, 
in the BBC what's the music route and the only like music show was Jules Holland and interestingly mm. I, I came to London and had an interview for their runner pool and I didn't get the job mm. because they said I was overqualified which I don't know I don't know how you'd be overqualified to be a runner like it's a super basic entry level role but that's what I was told mm. anyway so I was like okay cool and then the other entry was radio I was like I like music, but not necessarily, I wouldn't say radio is a passion. Um, so anyway, fast forward, I stayed in the BBC for a little bit longer. I ended up in a business role, business coordinator role in BBC religion for a while. And then I think it's after about eight to 12 months of being in the BBC, then you can mm-hmm. apply for all of the internal roles. And then one day I saw this role for an assistant content producer at Radio One. And one extra, and when I was reading the job description, everything that I was describing was kind of stuff that I was doing as a hobby. So. Yeah writing about music, discovering new artists, creating content. By then, I think I was doing like filming interviews and putting them on YouTube, like everything on there was kind of what I was doing. But I was like, well, I don't have any like quote unquote professional experience in this. But I was like, let me try a thing. Let me see what happens. Did the application and then yeah. ended up getting an interview. I think it's like the 23rd of December or something. Let's come to London for this interview. And then at the same time, I got a job, I got an offer for the same role, but in BBC Learning. So then it was the decision mm. between BBC Learning is based in Manchester, obviously Radio 1 and is based in London, like, which do you want to do? Um, was that really was, a dilemma for you? It wasn't really a dilemma, but like, <laughs> my mum's my, my here actually, and she was like, well, I, think take, I should think you should take the, the one at BBC Learning. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't pass up this opportunity um to work at radio one or an extra so (laughs) that was really how i got into it but it wasn't an aspiration in terms of like a lifelong dream in that sense i think for me it's just like being in and around music and being able to create and have ideas um and when i started in that role the social team was quite new so it very much was i had a boss who was just like yeah cool whatever you want to try yeah we've got budget to buy new equipment um no one really knew how to use it and it was a bit of the wild west to be honest at that point um so I think it's all just happened yeah and I think that's really important to highlight because sometimes people um can think that there is just one kind of fixed structure in order for people to get where they are especially entrepreneurs but actually in discussion with a lot of them you'll find that a lot of people who become entrepreneurs are people that were generally open to a variety of different things and have spent time doing lots of different things and have just thrown themselves into different atmosphere because I really feel that these are key skills that you have to use in your entrepreneurship journey especially when you get to the parts where there's a little bit of pressure there's a little bit of you know clients deadlines maybe they're screaming at you or something like these are the these are the things that help you think in 360 degrees rather than oh my gosh this solution that I have for this thing isn't working now what do I do it helps you not to panic um moving slightly not back but so for us we believe that what you were doing is just as important as who you are so what I think it'd be interesting to hear from you is if you were to define yourself in 60 seconds just by your core values and characteristics what would those be core values um I would say creative expression um integrity um compassion i think it doesn't really take much to be nice to people like you don't know what anyone's going through um i don't think that takes a lot at all um i think honesty um 
I think that on that side, in terms of characteristics, like I say, that curiosity, I think is a big one for me, not being afraid to try things, to like not accept that you, to accept that you don't know everything and it's fine to not know that and just be open to what you can learn about different things. Because what I found is something that's completely unrelated actually has helped me with something else. So I think curiosity is a big one. For me, I think experimentation and very much just to focus on the journey and going through the process versus whatever comes out. Whatever comes out is whatever comes out, sometimes out of your control. Um, obviously, there are times when you need to be specifically focused on an outcome, but other times I think there's so much more value in just going through the process and what you learn along the way. I don't know if that was 60 seconds or if that answered your question <laughs> accurately. It was, it was hello, but it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. But um, so I know with Forward Slash, it's not just you in the business at the moment. So what I thought would be interesting to know also is what was the point in the business or the trigger that made you bring more people on board? And how did you decide who those people might be? Because I think delegating and knowing when to bring more people on board is something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. And some of them, if they don't get it right, that's when their businesses can collapse. So for me, um, so in the first instance, like I was saying, like forward slash that like, accidentally happened after leaving the BBC. I was freelancing, I was consulting. By then I had like, this big network in the music industry. So I worked with a lot of labels, so like Columbia, Ministry of Sound. I worked with a couple of other agencies to help them win work. I helped another agency win Top Boy season one um, through Netflix and a different agency win a Red Bull music account. So I was sort of just floating I went back to the BBC they'd started this podcast um Strand and they brought in like the receipts podcast and these uh three shots of tequila so I was sort of like creating content and helping people and then it got to a point where I was getting offered all of this work but I couldn't do it on my own and it was my first time freelancing so it's like well I'm not gonna say no I'm not leaving money on the table like people always talk about January being particularly quiet in the music industry so I need to take I need to say yes to everything basically so I brought in uh, two assistant producers and they were with me for supposed to be four weeks and then it was six weeks and then it was 12 weeks. Um, and then I sort of monitored over a period of like nine months. So by the time it got to July 2019, that's when it felt like it was a good opportunity to formalize forward slash as a company because um, it felt like the work was consistent. And even then I was like, let me just see what happens if in six months or a year's time this doesn't work, then fine, I'll just go back to consulting on my own and if that doesn't work I'll go back into a full-time job so from there I think my approach is probably led with caution in terms of how I paid myself I really just paid what I, myself what I needed to live I never really splurged sort of like keep the money in the business I also had savings anyway before I even left the BBC I had like three months I think worth of savings and then obviously you leave and go freelance so you're your day rate goes up so I was already making more money than I would have been if I was at the BBC so I think that really helped in terms of actually giving me the freedom and the flexibility to bring in people later down the line because I had money available to do that and that's even still why you're learning about like pricing and how to uh, how to cost up your services and all that kind of thing so I think doing starting with those two assistant producers and thinking about from there like okay delegating and what is it that you want them to do and really like what is their understanding of what you're asking them to do and have you given them enough information and there's a structure there that's something I had to start thinking about quite quickly so it's I guess that's just accelerated as more people have joined the team but I think when it gets to a point of 
when we move from project to project and starting having retainer clients and you get a better idea of like what the scope of work is and how much is required each week then it becomes easy to say do you know what long term this isn't going to work or because of the amount of resource we need on this uh, retainer client campaign we're not going to be able to do it on another one um so i think the quickest acceleration i think was we had five in july 2021 and then the last person I employed was in March this year, March 2023, and that was the 14th person. Wow. And I think it's just, it's, it's happened. Actually, they were the last four people that I've employed, and that's the most I've ever employed in one go. And that was like when I got to the point of being really clear about these are where the gaps are in your structure. But before I jump ahead, yeah, before that point, I think it was very much like um, trying to be aware of what everybody's workload and capacity is like for me it's my business so i don't even have a nine to five i'll probably have a nine to nine or whatever is required so what my capacity is and what i can take on you can't necessarily expect somebody else in the business to do it that is. so it's really like yeah keeping those lines of communication open and allowing them to say do you know what like i feel stressed or it's a little bit much or you know because i think in the first instance you're going to say no no we don't need more people because you want to like keep your private healthy and you want to keep the cost down but it's really like having that open dialogue for them to be able to say and you just observing I guess and looking at how when you allocate work is this a realistic amount of work and what what is the impact of that if people are being overworked so there just comes a point where I think you have to decide okay you're going to bring in more people and like I said because I've always had the mentality of kind of a salary sacrifice which actually I don't recommend doing long term at some point you have to value your own time and I didn't do that for a very long time but what it meant is i had a lot of money available in the business to bring in more people yeah exactly so um, you've obviously hired people you've grown a team but um have there been times like where things have gone wrong and relationships have like broken down and like if so like how have you managed that so i think that is one of the biggest challenges it's the people management side um and i think if I had a choice, people management wouldn't be what I, what I take care <laughs> of. Honestly speaking, like, I just want to make things. I have ideas. I just yeah. want yeah. a team around me who can help me execute those things. Like, but the people management is the thing that's the most challenging. And it's the thing that you have to get right because you need this team for this to work. Like, you can't, you've established you can't do it on your own. You have a business, you have a company because you need people. And I think two things that I learned, one is you have to accept that no one is ever going to care about your business as much as you do. Like this is a job for them and you have to accept that. Like people, there's things that people will do where they're like they're passionate about it or they like this bit, but they're never going to give what you're going to give. So you have to accept that and you, can, you can't take that personally. That's the first thing. So the second thing is un and understanding that if this is transactional, you know, they provide a service you pay them for that service and in doing that whenever you're asking for things or you're negotiating you have to bear in mind what it is that they want like this only works if both people get something out of it so when you understand and accept that i think it helps to frame the decisions you make and think about how you're going at things because it's not just about well i need this and well this is what works best for me and my company yes that is true but if you want this person to be invested in what you're doing, to get excited about it, to be happy with what you're asking them to do, then you need to think about what they get out of it. So I think those two things kind of helped. Um, but I do think the hardest thing is, so 
I think I've had to let two people go. Um, and it's, it's that, that's been the hardest part because on a human level, you're like, Oof, it's someone's livelihood. Like, I don't know what they've got going on at home. Like people have bills to pay. We're all out here just trying to do, you know, enjoy life and do, do what we can with what we've got. But I think it just, I remember one day I was watching um, Jackie Brown with Samuel Jackson and yeah. his character's called Odell. And Odell, that creep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Odell, he says something along the lines of, um, it's either going to be him or me and it ain't going to be me. And yeah, that's kind yeah. of a mindset that I adopted. Like, well, that's kind can... of sinister though, because he does that and then he kills someone. I mean, yeah. I've taken it on in a, non- <laughs> in a non-sinister approach in the, in the sense that you can keep this person on, but actually it's to your detriment. It's at your expense. You're the one that's stressed about it. You're the one that is having to overcompensate for the work that they're not doing. You're the one that is, yeah, basically dealing with their incompetence. Um, so when I looked at it like mm-hmm. that, it, it still doesn't make it any easier because it's still an awkward conversation to have and it's difficult to navigate. And don't forget, I, I don't have a background in business. So even navigating it from like a HR and a legal perspective and making sure that you've done things the right way and you've given the person enough time to rectify things and you've gone through that like, performance management um, kind of system and you've done all of these things where it's like, okay, this is where we're at now. We've tried everything and it hasn't worked. And all of that is just, you're learning all of this in real time as well as just trying to navigate like how to read people, how to understand people, how to make sure what they're doing or not doing isn't impacting the other members of the team because actually your responsibility is to everybody. It's not just to this person resolving the mm-hmm. situation. So I've definitely found that the most challenging and the most complex. And I think it's definitely something that I still am learning. Like it's the, it's the thing about like being um, a solo founder, I think in particular, and not kind of having the ability to bounce off other people. Like you always have to be seen to be know what you're doing. Everybody's looking to you for answers. Everybody's looking to you for guidance, for direction. So I can't say, boy, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Like you can't, you can't say that. I can say that to my friends, <laughs> I can say that to my family, but you know, when you have that camaraderie at work where like everyone hates the boss or you're like, this person did this. It's like, well, you don't have that when you're, you're a solo founder. So it's definitely the, the thing that I found trickiest to navigate. So what does success look like um, to you for forward slash? What does success look like to me? Um, I think for forward slash, the priority has always been um, delivering work that is, um, that progresses culture, let's say, and I know culture is very wide, but um, as a black person, and as someone who has clients who are predominantly trying to permeate black culture, for me, it's super important to be to be authentic in what we're doing and to make sure that what we're doing is adding to the 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 people that uh, are consuming it, but also the people whose culture we're borrowing from. So my own culture, but you know, yeah, it's like. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So for me, it's always like the, the important thing is, are we, are, we, are we helping to push culture forward? Are we progressing? Like, I've been very, very selective about the things that we will and won't do and the kind of clients that we will and won't work with. And fundamentally, it's like, okay, cool, you know, 
this is marketing, this is business, this is branding. Everybody has a product or a service that they're trying to sell, which is fine. Like that's life. But in are we able to be in a position where we can make sure that it's been done in the right way and mm -hmm. it's not being exploited? Um, so I think for success with me is a continuation of being able to be selective with the work that we take on and make sure those things are of value and are impactful. And I think, like I said, I would look at creative expression as being one of my core values. So that's the thing as well, like where is that balance between having being dictated to by your client and being able to mm -hmm. have the freedom to kind of do it in the way that we know works best. Like I always say, why we can be successful is because we are the target audience, but we are the, the creator and the consumer. So mm -hmm. these companies, you're trying to target people like me. So you can't tell me better than me what's going to work for people like me, you know, but that's not every right. not every brand or not every company will accept that some people want to dictate so that's also the thing as well how much can we have a say in and be able to lead on and put our creative stamp on uh, the work that we do versus that being dictated to us so i think that's probably yeah. a marker of success as well and i think for me super important like the team that everybody gets to feel um some kind of ownership over what they do and that their value is recognized and very much work um i always tell everyone like this is always a team effort yes you're a designer yes you're a producer uh yes you do x y and z but like it's all everybody everybody does counts to make this whole thing work so it's very much there are no individuals here and i think i probably even myself i just think i just happen to be the person who has the skills to like, lead this collective of people but i don't think it's about me either i think it's very much a team effort um so for as long as everybody feels valued in that then i think that is an indicator of success to me so um so on our previous um episode where we spoke to a founder we asked them to give us a question to ask the next founder that we were going to interview so the question is what advice would you give your younger self about starting a business? That's a good question because I think if I thought about it, I would never have started a business. Like, I just <laughs> just wouldn't have done it. How did you say that? No, elaborate. Because I think if I had thought about what goes in, everything I've learned has been great and it's been the steepest learning curve of my life and continues to be the steepest learning curve. And now knowing all of that, I think if I knew that in advance, I would probably like the fear would have got the better of me. Like, that's not something that you want to embark on. Like, who does that? Like, why would you put yourself in that position? I just don't think, I don't know if I would be brave enough you to don't do have it. Do you have regrets? No, no, I don't have regrets. I don't have any regrets. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's, everything's worked out the way it's supposed to. And I think, well, I, in the same vein though, like I also, I think I would struggle, but if at some point in the future, like I had to go back into a company and work for someone else, I don't think it would be the end of the world for me either. I think I would really struggle with that because yeah, you build, I guess your own thing and you get to do things in your own way. But, um, yeah, what advice would I give my younger self? I guess really focusing on and building up as early as possible all of the skills around like planning, organization, um, 
negotiation, like all the, all the practical things that you need to run a business. I think the rest you can learn on the job, but like, if you aren't organized, it really doesn't matter. Like none of this works if you don't know how to manage your diary and you can, you know, put, put, bring a pull together client meetings or you can't hit deadlines. None of this works. So I think there's some very real practical skills that are needed to kind of set you on a good foot um, for succeeding in business. So I think probably those things. Awesome. Yeah, and do you have a question that you would like the next founder to answer? Ooh. Um... What would be, <laughs> sounds sinister, what would be the one thing that would make you throw in the towel? I like that. I think it's important to highlight struggles as well as successes. That's brilliant. <laughs> I feel like it's important to know like what your threshold is, because mm. I think sometimes I felt like I'm here now. I have to do this. And there's the pressure of it's not just me, it's me plus 13 people. And now I'm responsible for all of these people's livelihoods and making sure everybody gets paid and everybody's got a job and everybody's happy. But like really and truly, you're only one person. I think it's really important to understand like, at what point do you say, actually, you know what, like, I've taken this to a level, I need to pivot here, or, you know, you might want to sell it, you might want to uh, give it up altogether. I think it's important to be aware of like, where your boundaries are, and what you, you can take. Um, because, yeah, none of us, you know, as, as the phrase goes, we can't come and die, like, we're not here for, you know, even for your own business, you can't come and die. Yeah. That is one of my key mottos in life. Can't come and kill myself. So, Keturah, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the podcast, but thank you so much for spending time with us, letting us know a little bit more about the journey into Forward Slash, also your background and stuff. I think we don't often get the opportunity to speak to people in the media industry, actually. So we really appreciate when we are able to, because that's definitely a career space which intrigues quite a lot of people. And... Um, I could, you could say it's quite glamorous to a lot of people as well but sometimes people don't have a realistic viewpoint of kind of what the journey is like or what it might involve so again thank you so much for spending time with us today um where can we find you find out more information about forward slash anything that you're doing that you want to share uh yeah thank you for having me this has been a fun conversation I think it's always good to when you speak to other people and sometimes people ask you questions, these are things that have been in your head and when you say it out loud or you hear someone say it back to you, it actually gives you a different perspective. So yeah, thank you for the for the questions and the conversation. Um, in terms of where you can find me, well, forward slash is online at uh, forward slash inc.co um, and at forward slash inc. Um, I guess the thing that I'm most excited about is forward slash academy, which launched a few months ago and it's essentially um a educational resource so at the moment it's a set of master classes um called how to stand out on social media and it's essentially uh, targeted at creatives and creative business owners um and teaching people i guess like me how to get good at branding how to use socials to your advantage how to make the most of what's available online to attract new business to build your customer base as an artist, as a small business owner. Um, and that's something that's very much come from my experience and what I've learned, I guess, really like across my career in terms of how do you communicate on socials? How do you build 
brand um, and kind of, I guess, all those key factors. So super excited about that. Uh, that's sportsacademy.com. Yeah. That is amazing. So um, yeah, thank you as well. Thank you. Excited about that. And then I am at K number two, R-A-H underscore. So Katura, um on all socials. Um, don't go on my website because it's not up to date. I don't get a lot of time to update that. But, relate. Um, <laughs> we can relate. We can relate. No judgment here. It's a safe space. Thank you. But um, yeah, I've got some like DJ mixes on there and some music playlists if if you yeah, if you're curious and kinda of wanna hear some of the sounds I love and enjoy on that side in terms of uh, black electronic music. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it really. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, us again. Guys. And to everybody listening, thank you for listening in. Please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and help us get the word out. Remember, you can find us on all our social platforms at BW Podcast UK, sorry, Twitter and Instagram, LinkedIn, we are Black Women Working. Email us, blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com and check out our website if you want to, <laughs> www.blackwomenworking.com. Aside from that, till the next time we speak to you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. See you later.